Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment, this time, this scripture. God, it's a challenging word as we look at this notion of faith without deeds is dead. Will you teach us, God, what your scripture means? Will you bring this to life for your people? Open us up, God, in our heads, open our ears, and open our hearts. We want to receive your revelation. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series called Displaced on the book of James over the next five weeks. Uh, This is our third message from it on James 2. The title this morning is called Faith That Works. Faith That Works. Don't you hate it how stuff is built in a really temporary fashion these days? Like, I don't know about you, but recently we bought a washing machine. Not recently at all, actually. It was, it was like eight years ago, and it's dying right now. Or a dishwasher or a fridge. I had a repairman verify. Yep, we build things now for about eight to ten years of life. That's not the way things are supposed to work. Like, I, my family's building a greenhouse right now, and I pulled out a tool that belonged to my grandfather. It's 80 years old, and it still works. I want my faith to be like that, like to really last. I want to live a life, no matter how many years, no matter how many pandemics, I want a faith that works. And in today's text from James, he's writing to a church who's scattered from persecution, and he's saying, hey, it's been a long time since we've gathered. Make sure your faith works. It's a perfect letter for us as we experience the scatteredness and our inability to physically gather right now since we don't have a building of our own. No matter the challenge, says James, no matter the time, the fatigue, the pandemic, the social crisis, the the convictions, the, the things around us, let's build a faith that works. Let's grow fruit from this tree of faith. Let's raise mature disciples that can handle the forces of time. That's what James is asking, that in Jesus' name, our faith would work. And towards that end, James adds an interesting and compelling teaching today that real faith really works. Like literally, faith isn't just believing things, it's working. It's faith in action. I've said it a hundred times to you, Bethany North, that nobody cares what you believe. They care to see your faith in action, in practice. The world is littered with examples of people who say they have faith, but they don't produce good works. And today's text is the heart of the book of James, that real faith works. Genuine faith cannot exist without works or else it is missing the very life it claims to possess. And so James is going to teach us today, this is how real faith, authentic, lasting, enduring faith, this is how it works. So let's, let's dig in here, this first point, faith or works. Yes, said James, this is how it works. Look at verses 12 through 14. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's a good word. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? It's like a rhetorical question James is asking. He's bringing to light this question that arises from this book. Is it faith or is it works? Remember what Paul said in Romans 3.28. A person is justified by faith alone. Or as the message paraphrase translates Paul's word in Romans that has really guided our church life, uh, the message paraphrases Romans 3, we've learned is this, that God does not respond to what we do, we respond to what God does. That's the paraphrase of Romans 3. That's what Paul says, faith is 
grace alone. And historically, many in the church have been aligned typically with more of James' works or Paul's grace. Yes, says James, true. Grace is paramount. And real faith is more than just saying, I believe. Like real faith is empowered by the Spirit, motivated to serve, to be working for the inbreaking of the kingdom here and now. We're, we're saved by grace alone, period. And God desires to see our transformation for his glory as witness with lives moving in obedience. We're, we're justified by grace, but we're sanctified as we work out our faith in loving others. And so it's essential for us, church, to see Paul and James making complementary points. See, because Paul is really dealing with how Christians are born, and James is dealing with how Christians grow and mature. This is what Jesus was about. Believe in me and follow me. Jesus had no interest in a faith that didn't work. Jesus didn't come to make people religious. He came to set people free from bondage of sin and enter into the indwelling power of the spiritual life, changed and living different. And James is speaking about what his brother taught, that he's worried, James is, about his church. It's the same problem for us 2,000 years later. We want to be more than just the stuff we say we believe. We want to be motivated to move as we follow Jesus. So church, I want to ask you a question. How would you explain this verse to a coworker or a friend? Faith without works is dead. Or to a child or to a roommate. It's really important for disciples to comprehend this verse. Martin Luther King once talked about uh, this very thing when he says that any religion that professes to be concerned about the souls of men and is not concerned about the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a spiritually moribund religion awaiting burial. And so King said, we must have a faith in Jesus that moves and cares for whole people. So that's what I want to say here, second point, that disciples work in order to display faith. This is how faith works. We don't work to achieve faith. We work to exhibit faith. He says here in verses 15 to 17, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or food. If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it, said James, in the same way, Faith without actions, dead. Well, let me ask you another question, church. How do you feel when someone says they love you, but they don't really act like it? For some of you, that's kind of a tough question because it brings to mind difficult relationships with maybe a father or a mother or a spouse or a child or a friend. Love without action is really not love at all. And so I want to challenge this, church. Like, do we love the world that God created with outward actions. One of the key criticisms of the American church is that we don't really look too much different than the world around us. But if we're serious about discipleship, we'll be a church that focuses on doing work in order to display faith in Jesus. Dallard Willard once said about discipleship, he said the New Testament is a book about this. It's a book about disciples for disciples of Jesus Christ. Any discussion about Christians that doesn't begin with our discipleship to Jesus is dead. Because in the New Testament, the word disciple occurs approximately 300 times, but it's a bit fuzzy. There's not a definition. What does discipleship mean? 
Recently, I was working with some pastors at Bethany to lock down our definition of discipleship, and this is what we came up with. Just a rough dapper. Let me try it out on you. Here we go. Discipleship is being transformed by the Spirit into the image of Christ in order to do what Jesus does and share the good news with others. It's simple, but it, it works, right? Transformed by the Spirit into the image of Christ in order to do what Jesus does and share the good news with others. You notice it's faith working itself out and being a blessing to the world. It's what disciples do. We're called to be transformed by faith, but ultimately we're also called to these works of obedience to share our story, to be disciple makers in both faith and works. Especially this week as the nation was embroiled in tension of racial justice and public trials and ongoing shootings It's this question, what does the church do to work for the justice for all of God's people? David Swanson wrote this incredible uh, book called Rediscipling the White Church, and he says that we need new work as Christians, new practices. He, He says this, he says, the most painful part of the discipleship journey comes when we honestly assess the damage done by our defective forms of discipleship. Our segregation in the American church has weakened our witness to the gospel and inflicted real suffering on members of the Christian family, women and men of color who share our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, but who've been made all but invisible by our racial blinders. Confessing our failure to disciple people in the way of Jesus will be difficult. The temptation will be to pull back, to look for an easier way to address the unease we feel about churches will be strong. There are no quick quick fixes for the reconciled church. Instead, our own repentance over shallow spiritual and harmful segregation is the way forward, Swanson writes. This, says David Swanson, is the beginning of pointing to our more hopeful horizon for the American church. Or as James would say, faith without works is dead. Because work refills the empty or loveless body. Working is serving and giving and laying our lives down in order to display our faith. This weekend, Heather and I are celebrating 22 years of marriage. We are in love. We have a strong relationship. And yet, if feelings don't become actions, our love will run dry. A love story 22 years in the making. I I feel something, but I must work towards serving her, loving her, caring for her. And so church, let me say this to you. May we work out our obedience to Christ. And finally, I wanna say this. I want us to be inspired to see how others are working. That's how faith works, James says. He lifts up at the end of chapter two the example of Abraham and Rahab to say, this is what it should look like. Look to Abraham, look to Rahab. Look at here at the end of James two. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. He just keeps hammering this point. Even Paul in Romans would look at Abraham saying that he was righteous thousands of years before Christ. Abraham exhibited by faith by him walking out his faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited as righteousness. And you see that faith and actions working together, that Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. 
interesting, both James and Paul in Romans 4, both, both of them will be in agreement. Abraham was this hero of faith because he believed God and his life displayed his obedience. Then James takes a turn and pulls up at the end of James 2 the story of Rahab. And anyone in Israel would understand Rahab who sheltered the spies in Jericho. James 2 says, in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's incredible. Jewish people would be like, oh, Rahab, she was a prostitute who became righteous by her actions. A pagan prostitute behind enemy lines in Jericho before Israel entered the promised land. It's incredible in the story of Joshua. Rahab hid the spies. Remember Joshua 2.11. She knew that God was the only true God in heaven and earth. She had faith. She knew something, but it was her works of sheltering the spies that saved the nation. She became part of the legacy of faith. It's amazing here that a hero was an outsider prostitute. So James is saying, this is what faith looks like. This is what righteousness looks like. It's what you do. Be like Abraham. Be like Rahab. Start to to, to step into your faith. That's what faith is calling us to do, to walk and to move. That's what James is saying. It's like a body without a spirit. Your faith needs work in order to move. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so I want to ask you another question, church. As you consider today's text from James 2, how do you want to grow as a person of faith that demonstrates faith by a life of works? I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where your faith needs to be revealed into action. And with Jesus in prayer, plan some next steps in the week ahead. Faith becoming action. It's what drives me as your pastor. It's my calling, you guys. Like, make the church matter again was the word that God gave to me. Help people believe. Help belief become action. And I firmly believe that as we see faith working, it inspires a movement. See, we're inspired when we see others working. And my hope isn't for a whole bunch of you to be pastors. No, my hope is that you would feel your faith working as a student, as a banker, as a stay-at-home parent, as a retired person, as a Boeing engineer, as an Amazon employee, wherever God has you today, I hope for you, church, that you would know the love of God with your whole heart and that you would believe in Jesus and then I hope you would feel your faith working as you display faith to the world. And many of you ask, but how? Let me close with a story. My wife has this uncle, Uncle Brent. He loves God. He builds houses in Spokane. He's a contractor. And he lives an interesting story. He understands the grace of God. He tries his best to work for the glory of God. And as he was building homes for paying clients, he became aware of this woman in Spokane whose home was literally falling apart. A single mom who was boarding horses to make ends meet, raising kids by herself. Her home was so bad it had bare dirt showing through the floorboards and places. And one day as he was praying, God, what do you want me to do? He felt like God told him, get to work, 
build this woman a house. He couldn't explain it, but as he prayed and prayed, God wouldn't let him go. And so one day he knocked on the door of her house and he said, can I build you a home? He saw the problem, he prayed, he stepped in. And it got covered in the Spokesman Review in a front page article. His faith literally became newsworthy because this is how faith works. It was this incredible project because after he donated his time, more and more contractors began to join in the good work and offer their services to miracle after miracle provided for the project of a home built for free. And so the local paper, the Spokesman Review, found out and they wrote this front page article. Let me quote to you from the Spokesman Review article on the front page, newsworthy. On days like this, the article says, the 50-year-old Spokane Valley woman can stand in her new front yard marveling at the new home built for her, which was just a hovel. It's been amazing, she said. It's been more than she could ever expect when a contractor she knew only casually knocked on her door offering to build her a new house free of charge. I never would have thought about flat floors, she said. In her old house, scarcely bigger than a two-car garage, the rotting floor sagged in the center so they could no longer take the earth's gravitational pull. The ceiling dipped like a fun house roof. Its thin, uninsulated walls were leaky. The article continues. The home's only heating source was an old old wood stove and a dirt pit beneath the floorboards. When contractor Brent saw the home and knew something had to be done, he prayed about it. Still quoting the news article, he offered to build her a home. Volunteers took turns raising the ramshackle home and then built her a new home. In this no free lunch world, their story seemed implausible but it was only the beginning for Uncle Brent, a Christian who says God ordered him to build her a new home. This is how faith works. And the world is desperate for these kind of good news stories. It's not just over there, it's right here too. I have so many stories as your pastor of faith working in people's lives in our city, in our church. And often because of confidentiality, I have to hold so many of these stories, but I just want to encourage you, church. You have a faith that works. You belong to a church that works. Stories of this church rallying around, working to display faith. This summer, our prayer walk against racism, getting our pastors on their knees and congregants showing up by the hundreds to say, we care that all people matter. One of my good friends who ended up passing away, but when he was in his last days, people of this church rallied around his house doing yard work for him or how about when Bethany North started where flowers and coffee and people setting up all volunteers or historically we'd have these annual serve days and we would fill up you know the Linwood food bank and different schools just working in order to display Christ Earlier this spring, some families connected loosely to the church and Edmund Jung Life became aware of a house in need of a new roof in our community and donated time and materials to put a roof on people in our community. Or deacons that heard about a North family that were getting ready to host foster families in their bathroom needed to be completely redone and over a couple of weeks gave them a new bathroom. I could go on and on and on that this is how faith works. And the work becomes a witness. The witness of a loving God that a faith that works, that love in action, it's who you are and who God is continuing us to be. There's so much more to do. But I just have another question for you. As you want to grow as a person of faith, 
Where is Jesus asking you to step in and get to work to display his glory in our city? At the end of that Spokane House Story article on this idea that working becomes a witness and more and more people started to join in, as Heather's uncle stepped in, people more and more and more would literally stop by the job site. I will do the carpet. I want to give you a garage door. I want to do the electrical supplies. The entire house built for free. Over 120 volunteers. By the time the windows arrived, the guy who delivered the windows said, I got to do something. And then he said, I'm going to quit chewing tobacco. You know, it's like, all right. It's incredible. I mean, the Spokane article ends with this quote that the homeowner looks at a scripture over her door and she occasionally cries because Joshua 24, 15 says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. That's the end of the newspaper article, guys. Okay? When we work, we're not earning the grace of God. We're just saying yes and amen. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Let me be good news to your world. This is how faith works. Experiencing him and working towards his purposes in the world as lives are changed. Will you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this moment to look at James 2 and just this encouraging and important word that you're calling us to move. You're calling us like a body that needs the spirit. God, you're calling us to to display the love that you have for us, the love that you showered upon us and encouraging us to be people on the move, loving you and loving others. God, if there is a word of condemnation or shame that's arisen in this message, we would ask that you would strike it down. That's not what you're doing right now in your people. So God, take those words of condemnation, remove them from your listeners. But Lord, we would ask that we would be disciples maturing in our faith, that we would trust that we are saved by grace alone, but that we would ask God in faith that you would give us a little bit of work to do for your glory. We're thankful for this common compassion initiative. Would you give us an understanding of how to be people, uh, free to love, uh, saved by your mercy, stepping in for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Let's close in song.